Well, close on the heels of the anniversary of Roe v. Wade this past Wednesday and the March for Life in Washington, D.C. this past week, I'd like to take the opportunity to give a pro-life homily. Now, there are many factors, many factors that strongly influence any given woman when she makes the unfortunate decision to have an abortion. There's the breakdown of the family, there is absentee fathers, there's lack of adequate prenatal care, there's uh, <clears throat> health care issues, there are poverty issues, there are education issues. There's a host of issues that make this a multifaceted and holistic problem calling for a multifaceted and, and holistic solution and an authentically robust pro-life stance advocates for positive change in all of these areas, as the Catholic Church, in fact, does. So if in my homily today I kind of focus on one issue, and that is the law, the illegitimacy of the specific act of an abortion and the need to pass laws that prevent that from happening, doesn't mean that I'm not aware and that the Catholic Church in general is not aware that it's a holistic issue and there are many factors that we need to take into account uh, with this issue. But I can only... Address one thing, you know, in any given homily, okay? Also, it's very important for women and men who have been involved in an abortion to know that God, in his great mercy, is ready and willing to forgive them. And so if you are hurting from an abortion, the Catholic Church is not here to condemn you, but to help you find healing and forgiveness and peace of conscience. I have spoken with, and I believe I've helped, many individuals who've been involved with an abortion. And, of course, the sacrament of reconciliation is and remains uh, the best healing tool available for us in this regard. Since anybody hurting from an abortion, uh, of course, I'm always available for counsel or for uh, confession. Today, though, as I've intimated, I'm going to be focusing uh, on one issue, and the issue specifically of the illegitimacy of the act of having an abortion and uh, the importance of the pro-life movement and the importance of changing laws in this regards for the defense of human life. I'd also like to tie it all in with the importance of us as Catholics together being unified in this issue. Okay, it's a very bad witness when we have Catholics saying this and we've got other Catholics saying that and uh, we can't agree with one another. Uh, it's a very, very bad um, witness to our faith. If we look in our gospel today, Jesus, we see him. This is the beginning of the preaching, the proclamation of the gospel. And before he ascended into heaven, uh, he gave the church the task and the power to continue proclaiming that same gospel, and even as Jesus had one mouth and he gave one consistent message, so we who continue on his task in the world have to have one mouth and one consistent message. And this is what we hear about from St. Paul in our second reading when he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same purpose. So I hope my homily today will help us as Catholics get on the same page together in our minds and our hearts on this important issue. Some Catholics concede that abortion is morally wrong, but they're annoyed that their fellow Catholics in the Catholic Church in America are so intimately involved in a political struggle 
over abortion. They find something like the March for Life, which we just witnessed last week, uh, and the pro-life movement in general, they find it embarrassing, and they see it as an illegitimate mixture of politics and religion. There's nothing to be ashamed about in this, though. If we look back in the history of our own country, as Americans, we see that the movement to, for example, abolish slavery was motivated and mobilized primarily by people who drew their inspiration from their religion. Okay, so the abolitionist movement was really at base a religious movement. Okay, uh, if we look back to the civil rights era in the 60s and the 70s, again, we see the fight for racial equality was motivated and mobilized primarily by people who were inspired by their religion. This is a true, of course, as we all know, for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whose civil holiday we just commemorated this past Monday. We all remember him as a great civil, right, civil rights leader, but somehow we forget that actually the primary motive for what he did and said was his religion. Uh, and Dr. King himself, in turn, looked back to, uh, as we all know, Mohandas Gandhi, who in the first half of the 20th century drew from his own Hindu religious tradition to fight for human rights in India. So far from it being an embarrassing you know, mix of politics and religion, uh, the pro-life movement is really moving in accordance with these historical, very important historical precedents. And we see that it's religion that's brought about, or at least has inspired, some of the best and the most widely celebrated progress in politics in recent times. Moreover, the pro-life movement in America, it's not an attempt to impose our religious beliefs on others who don't share those beliefs. It's not like Catholics involved in the pro-life movement trying to convert people to Catholicism. Okay, uh, They're simply trying to get their fellow Americans to recognize basic ethical truths that are evident to everyone's common sense, truths upon which our society uh, and the common good is based. And it's really simple, I mean, from an ethical point of view, uh, and I'll just, from here, talk a little bit about the ethics of it all. It's really not a complicated uh, argument. The unborn child is a human being, and it's wrong to kill human beings. Just as it doesn't get any more complicated than that. Okay, there's just a lot of distractions. Uh, they, this is there's all these kinds of confusions and mental uh, distractions that get played into this. But this is the basic issue, and it's not complicated. Okay, so we don't need to make it more complicated than it is. It's true that the fetus doesn't look like you and I exactly, who are living outside of our mother's wombs, but we're not therefore justified in concluding that the fetus is not therefore a human being. Uh, it's not like the fetus suddenly becomes a human being after it exits its mother's womb, as though suddenly becoming visible or moving outside the womb makes a difference in one's human status. Okay. Uh, and it doesn't make sense, some people, another argument would say, it doesn't make sense that the fetus becomes a human being when it becomes viable, meaning when it can survive uh, outside the mother's womb. Uh, this is the error, in fact, that Roe v. Wade actually made. So if you study the court argument in 1973 when Roe v. Wade was put into effect, it based all of its reasoning on the viability argument. Um, it's a fallacious argument. The technology for keeping a baby alive outside its mother's womb has advanced greatly in recent times. It's now possible to keep only a 20-week-old baby alive outside of its mother's womb. Okay, and you couldn't do that back in the 50s or even the 60s or 70s. All right. So uh, 
are we to say that a 20-week-old fetus uh, can now be considered a human being, but in the 1950s it, it wasn't a human being, right? Does our status as human beings depend upon our technological capabilities? It doesn't make any sense. So we see that our status as human beings is rooted in our human nature. Simple as that, okay? Uh, from a religious point of view, from a biblical point of view, we talk about the image of God. But we don't need to. We can just talk from a uh, rational and philosophical perspective. Our human dignity is rooted in our status as human beings and our human nature. Okay. Now, there's a more subtle uh, pro-choice argument that you can hear really only amongst academics, uh, professional philosophers, and what they say is this. Um, the fetus is a human being... Uh, but it's not a human person, and it doesn't have human rights, therefore. The fetus is a human being, they say, but it's not a human person. Human beings don't acquire personhood until they can consciously attribute to their own existence a certain kind of value, and because fetuses can't do this, they may be human beings, but they're not human persons. It's, it's really kind of a distinction without a difference, all right? Uh, and it's it's sophistry is what we call in the, in the old-fashioned language, meaning it's BS, all right? Um <laughs> Children up to their third and fourth year of life really wouldn't qualify as human persons according to this definition, right? you got a one-year-old child or two-year-old child. They, they can't really attribute to their own existence uh, a value that we as adults do. And then you've got the case, of course, of people who are maybe severely, severely developmentally disabled, you know. And so what, are we going to eliminate all of these people or do we have the right and they have no right so we eliminate them? Okay, so... No one is going to generally agree, except for very few, you know, ivory tower academics, that this makes any sense. Okay. Now, on the other, going back to the issue of Catholics and the need for us to be unified, uh, some Catholics are not just embarrassed by the pro-life movement; uh, they actually think abortion, in many circumstances, should be legal, and they'll actively throw their political energy in that direction, and they will actively oppose their own church. Okay. And it's really not good. It's really, really not good. They'll get on Facebook and they'll talk about how they're pro-choice, but I'm a Catholic and all of this kind of stuff. It's very, very scandalous. Very, very scandalous. Um, the reasoning usually is follows. They, they will still admit that abortion is wrong, and so that's good at least. Uh, but they'll, they'll do this thing where they'll say, well, if we outlaw it, it's only going to make the problem worse. I think that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. Okay, that's... That's the kind of the mindset. My brothers and sisters, the pro-life movement seeks to change our nation's current laws for the very simple reason, it's a very simple reason, a nation's laws reflect its values and they play a formative and educational role in the life of its citizens. So as a child, especially if you grow up in a country that has something that says something's legal, you readily believe that it's morally permissible. Okay? And so we have to make sure that our laws are in accordance with, with what really is moral, morally uh, right and good. Okay, um, So it's important for the pro-life Christian to be involved in politics and to work to change actual laws. So also, it's not the case that overturning, or at least it could be argued, it's not the case that overturning Roe v. Wade would lead to more abortions. I don't know if it's possible to have more abortions than what we have right now, right? Okay. So this is, this is, there's not like safe, legal, and rare. I'm sorry, this is, this is not rare. Alright? This is not rare. Um, 
And uh, it's also probably not the case that you're going to be able to argue that you know these illegal abortions that would then start to take place are going to be detrimental to the safety of the women who are having them. If and when Roe v. Wade is overturned, this will be a sign that our nation as a whole has actually undergone a moral conversion. Okay, um, it would be a glorious sign that we as Americans have finally acknowledged the rights of the unborn. And those women who would continue to procure abortions illegally, and those men, of course, who would you know pressure them to do so and help them do so, would have recourse to chemical abortions, okay, and all sorts of drugs and technology. You know, we're really, really good at killing people uh, safely today. You know, so like with all our technology and the drugs, it's not going to be detrimental to the health of the women who are undergoing this, okay? And uh, the fact of the matter is that the overall number of abortions in America would just simply plummet. It would just simply plummet, okay? So human lives would be saved. The moral fabric of our society would find, would really go through a renaissance. It would be a positive and very, very good thing. This is a glorious future that we can hope for. There is real hope for change. I think, for example, of a very famous atheist, uh, Christopher Hitchens, who along with uh, Richard Dawkins and a few other characters like Sam Harris are the most vocal atheists we have in America and in Europe today. Well, when it comes to Hitchens, before his recent death, he began to admit that the pro-life position was reasonable and it was probably true. Now, he didn't say this from a pro-religious stance. He was very, very anti-religious. He's a very uh, staunch atheist. So, in this, uh, you know, on this front, his heart had changed, his mind had changed. So it is possible to change even the hardest hearts on this issue by appealing not to fanaticism and emotion, but, but to reason. There's also a movement out there right now which I find very interesting. It's called pro, uh, pro, um, life humanists, pro-life humanists. And this is a group of people who are humanists, agnostics, and even atheists. They have no religious beliefs whatsoever. And this is what they say on their website. Okay, it's a piece of good common sense. Quote, we oppose discrimination against biological humans on the ground of what they look like and how they function. And we believe that abortion should be rejected on the same ground as racism, sexism, and ableism, which place greater importance on what the human entity does and looks like than on what the entity in question actually is. Isn't that a breath of fresh air to hear non-religious people actually saying that? Okay, right? We love one another not because they're beautiful or because they look exactly like us or they have all the same capabilities and capacities and functions, but we love them simply because they're human beings like us. All right? That's something to which we can all say amen. Today we look back at the civil rights era and we see something like segregation is obviously unjust. Okay? We regard the civil rights activists of that era as people with common sense and moral courage. And we kind of say, why were they even opposed? Right? Why were they even opposed? Who is opposing these people? Okay? So also there can come a day, there can come a day, when we look back and see abortion is obviously unjust. We all of us as Americans can say that was obviously wrong to be doing that. And we can regard those who worked to abolish it as people of common sense and moral courage. That's you and me be part of those people. 
okay, with common sense and with moral courage. That's all of us, especially as Catholics, in unit, in one voice, okay, in one mind, hope for this day. Uh, and let's all together with one voice, with one mind, speak the gospel of life.